Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Farmer Sense Podcast. I am your host, Rick Willard, and my co-host, or I guess you could call him a host, Andrew Fuff. I'd like to be the co-host. That's fine. I don't need to. Okay, you do have it wrote on the back there. Okay. <laughs> so joining us today is Lacey Schaefer. She has her, well, let's just let, let her explain. Andrew knows her a lot better than I do, so I don't want to go into details that aren't true. But what do you do, Lacey? So I am the sole owner of the Schaefer Company in Villisca, Iowa. I write primarily crop and uh, livestock insurance. And I've been in the financial industry for since well, 2002. I hate to date myself. Andrew's actually younger than I am. Uh, and I, so I started as a financial officer and I really suck at saying no to people and they didn't really like that. So <laughs> moved on to crop insurance and uh, since 2008. And then in 2015, I thought I was in love with the cattle market. So I left where I was working. Uh, oh. I went to work for a feedlot. We did some hedging there, and I did their financials and books and things like that. And I don't know if you're familiar with 2015, but the market kind of fell out, and uh, I went back to work in crop insurance in 2016. Then I kind of got tired of corporate America last year, um, and I quit my corporate job and started my own company so I can solely focus on what I think is best for my customers and what I can do best for my customers. Good, great. Yeah, I... I used to sell Pioneer Seed and nothing against Pioneer, but I, I quit just because, you know, everybody's like, why'd you quit? That's a, you know, that's just money in the bank, easy money. Everybody wants Pioneer, blah, blah, blah. Well, at that time they didn't. I mean, it was, they had market share, but it wasn't the best selling seed in our area. But, you know, stress gets to you. Life gets to you. When I was young and single, I didn't, all I did was work, you know, and it didn't bother me. Then I got married uh, we don't have any children. We got a great dog. Ava's her name. You'll hear about her all the time on the podcast because she's my dog, my dog to her. But uh, anyway, uh, selling Pioneer was very stressful. It was. And you learn a lot about your neighbors once they become customers. It's crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's some things you don't want to learn. Definitely not. Uh, but I had a lot of favorites for customers, and I had some that were tough to work with. All in all, I liked all of them. I had no problems with them, but I got sick of the anxiety. You know, windstorms would come through, storms would come through. You'd worry, you know, you'd wake up in the morning, who got hit with hail, who got hit with wind. Wind, of course, would be the biggest. Um, but that's kind of where you come in. Uh, you kind of have my back with that kind of you stuff. Have, yeah. You bet, yeah. So. That's when I lie awake with the anxiety. Yeah. Right. You don't yeah. do adjusting though, right? You have, you no. have, okay, well, that's good. Thank I have a, a friend of mine that he did crop insurance adjusting. He's actually the one that took over my pioneer agency. Uh, oh. So yeah, oh. that's kind of why I picked him. He was out in the field scouting and, and doing stuff more than I did. I actually relied on him quite a bit when I was selling. So anyway. I'm going to cover you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can vouch for Lacey. She worries about that stuff you know, all the time. Cause we always talked after every wind event every year, it seemed like. Well, that's every good. That, that's and the kind of agent you one want. thing with crop insurance. It's there's always a learning opportunity with every kind of coverage every year. Yeah. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. You started the Schaefer company this last year, correct? Correct. Yeah. So you started on your own and what was the, I mean, you already said to get away from corporate America. What's the best thing that you liked about starting your business on your own right away? I mean, because I've done it, and, you know, Rex talked about the Pioneer. What was the first thing that's like, oh, this is awesome? I think the probably the biggest thing is that you get to think for yourself. Like, there's nothing that is being fed into you. Like, you get to really get, dive into your customer's operations and be like, okay, I think that this is the best thing for you. And crop insurance farm service agency programs, it's all so complex that, you know, I can do all those things now and really help all of my producers by focusing on almost being within their operations and like, almost like I'm not a decision maker, but I'm going to, I'm going to do the best for them, encompassing the whole realm of all of the disaster programs, Um, you know, your farm bill operations choices. And, and then just your crop insurance. And then now, you know, um, I just recently took my series three. So now I'm going to get into a little bit of 
hedging and what those strategies look like as compared to what crop insurance products are available to you and just trying to sort out that all out. Cause I think that there's some things we can do better than just the, the products that are out there as far as hedge, hedging strategies as well. And I'm, I'm uh, pretty green to it, but uh, I just, I enjoy kind of pushing myself to get more knowledge so I can help the producers that I work with too. Yeah. yeah. I know how much fun those tests are. So good job. <laughs> Horrible. Worst thing I've ever done. I don't even remember, ever remember a college class that bad. Yep. Oh, <laughs> even science was not that bad. Uh, who needs college? I know. Uh, no, yeah, I, I like how you talked about being able to do your own thing. I mean, you can even set your own hours or whatever. I mean, everything's great about being your own mm-hmm. boss. There's, what changes are coming in crop insurance for 2024? Is anything new, exciting, um, just options? I would actually... I would love to tell you that there's a bunch of new things for crop insurance this year, but there isn't there's nothing really changing. I mean, there's a few changes, but I mean, they, they affect agents mostly more than they affect you. The biggest changes this year is going to be trying to uh, deal with the lower prices uh, that we're having going into to the spring. So your guarantees are going to be lower. So we got to get kind of creative on figuring out what is best for you and, and you know, what your appetite is for paying premium on your crop insurance this year. When's the when's the sign up window through the deadline? Deadline's like March fifteenth, I think, right? Yep, March fifteenth, and the spring price is set in the month of February. So you know we're going to start averaging that price in a few days. It's a it's a straight average of um, that price, and that goes on November beans and December corn. So that'll set your guarantees for the spring. So what do you think is going to drive a producer's decision going into 24? I mean, as you talked about, you know, lower prices already. We've come out of what, multi-year droughts. What 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 do you think producers are going to really focus on when making decisions in 24? I think that you really have to get a good handle on your cost of production this year and see if we can wrap that up. You know, they're, they're, it's going to be a little bit tougher I don't think the cost of production has come down that much into relationship from last year, but prices have. So we might have to get a little bit creative. Um, I think that that's going to be number one is your cost of production. Number two is probably going to be how much are you forward contracting? What's your marketing strategies? Finding out what your minimum bushel revenue or minimum bushel guarantee is going to be so that you can take those bushels and feel confident that you can forward market those bushels and take some of the risk off the table when the the market provides you the opportunities. If we have some opportunities to lock in profit, I think you got to do that. So you got to pick your coverage levels based on how much you want to do that. Hey, can you explain, uh, so you have a guarantee, of course, um, the farmers listening to this should know that, but so you have a guarantee, let's say it it's 180 bushel to the acre. So you sell all that on your corn, not beans, Andrew. Corn is 180 bushel. Beans, I know, but <laughs> since you don't, I didn't know. I was going to let you know that beans usually aren't 180 bushel anyway. Oh, okay, thank you. They won't be for your first year anyway. But uh, <laughs> So you have 180 bushel corn guarantee, and you sell all that, every, every bushel, to your local co-op. It's all going to one place. You only get... 150 bushel to deliver. So you have that other 30 bushel of the acre that you set up to deliver. Explain how that is, how crop insurance helps you in that way. I mean, are you uh, then buying it and selling it on paper? You know, how, how does that, how does that mm-hmm. come into play? So you have your, um, whatever you're short, that's going to be the amount that your crop insurance is going to pay you. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Likewise, they're going to pay you that 30 bushels at the fall price. So you can either take that and get out of your contract, your local co-op, getting all your bushels. You do have to go to them and you have to say, what if I can't deliver? Otherwise, you go to Andrew and you say, hey, you got a lot of bushels. Let me buy some of those under the basis. You buy it with your crop insurance check and you go deliver those bushels from Andrew to to the elevator. So you got a couple different ways, but you have... You have to know that you have minimum minimum bushels and your crop insurance is going to step in and pay you for whatever you're short so you can go deliver those or go get out of your contract. Buy them, get out of your contract. Does that make sense? Absolutely. 
Yep. And I like how you feel like a lot of producers actually look at their guaranteed bushels and, and use it in their marketing plan. Would you say it's 25%, 50%, 75% that they get to a hundred percent marketed? Well, no, that they actually, you know, look at those. They know it. Yeah. If you're my customer, you're going to know that that's the conversation that we have every spring. This is your minimum revenue guarantee. This is your minimum bushels that you can take to forward contract. But I don't know if every agent does that, but you should know that your, your, your agent should be able to take your pre-planting plan. So Andrew, I know that you're going to all corn this year. They can go and they can do a full farm quote and get you your actual guaranteed bushels based on your planting plan. They, they should be giving you that in the spring. That should be all a part of your decision. Yeah, and if they're not doing that, you need to call Lacey. Yeah, yeah you need to find a new agent for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, as, let's see, I'm sorry. You got to cut this part out, Rick. I think I took your spot. No, I'm not cutting it out. I was going to ask you, what question are we on? Five? <laughs> I think we're on number five. So. Yeah, no, that's okay. So, yeah, the farm bill. They're working oh, on that. Bill. Yeah, so how does so that, exciting. yeah, how does that work into, um, Crop insurance and yeah. So you have you have to make your farm bill election by March fifteenth. So that's coming up. It's it's a decision that you're going to make want to make with your crop insurance. There's no new farm bill for this year. They they extended um, the farm bill from last year, and I think that what they're working on for next year, there's a lot of good things on the table. Like they want to update PLC prices, the reference prices. Um, they maybe want to make crop insurance levels higher or you take higher levels of um, you get more subsidy, but you give up maybe your ARC or your PLC. Like there's a lot of things on the table and I don't think they've made any decisions. And so we don't really know. The only thing we do know is that you're going to make um, your elections based on ARC and PLC for this year, the same as you have the past uh, since 2018, I think. So it comes back to the great ARC versus SCO debate. And I know you say, wait a minute, it's ARC and PLC. But actually, I think it's ARC versus SCO. The reason is, is because I think you have to look at, they're very similar. They're both based on the county. They're both an 86% guarantee. So let's take a look at SCO first. So SCO uses an estimated county yield and you get the spring price for crop insurance. You actually get the higher of the two prices, just like your revenue protection. Then you get 86% of that, okay? It's paid on planted acres, so it's pretty attractive. It's subsidized at 65%, so it's relatively cheap, and it's a good way to buy up your coverage. The disadvantage is, is you have to pay for it, and you have to elect PLC. PLC reference prices are 401 PLC is price loss coverage, so you only get paid when the marketing year average falls below 401. And that's, I hope we don't get there. There's a possibility, honestly, that we do. Mm-hmm. And then you get paid on 85% of your base acres. So you're going to marry the two if that's what you choose. And the reason why you would choose it is because it's paid on planted acres and you, you're looking at that um, crop insurance price. Um, ARC, on the other hand, your other choice. ARC takes the five-year Olympic average of the county yield, so it strikes the highs and the lows for the yield, and it takes that times the five-year Olympic average price, um, market year average price, and so it's going to strike the high and the low off of that. And so yield times price times 86% is your ARC county guarantee, and why it's more attractive this year is because we're at 485 for a price on ARC. Mm-hmm. It's free. So you got to kind of look at it. Um, you're, it's going to be paid on 85% of your base acres. So if you're somebody that was in good old Southern Iowa, you may not have a lot of base acres, honestly. So you have to look at your base acres from the FSA office too, and they can give you those. Um, I think it's the forms of 156 easy. You look at those and you see if they're pretty well aligned. I think you can make a case that, you might look at buying up your coverage um, on your revenue protection so you have more marketable bushels, more revenue guarantee, and you take the free uh, ARC program. But that's my opinion. That's my first thought. But I also I want to know what the spring price comes in before I totally park my decision on that. 
Oh, so I shouldn't have marked my decision already? <laughs> they told I mean, me you I can go change. revise they told, it. They told me I could change it. I was in FSA the other day getting a map. They're like, well, what do you, you choose? I, I chose ARC. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, well, on both? Well, you, well, on both you told, did you take them on both your base acres for uh, corn and beans? Well, I don't have beans, but yes, I did all corn. You don't have any base acres on your beans? Can well, you still find up those? Yeah, I do have them both. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's you chose arc on. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, you know it's what? probably wrong because I, I don't, like I don't think I, it is. well, you know, we talked about other options, SEO. What about ECO? What about that? Yeah. So ECO, your underlying farm bill election, it doesn't matter. So. Okay. You can uh, put ECO on. So your revenue protection, let's say you're 80%. SEO is going to take you from 80 to 86. So it's going to start wherever your revenue protection stops into 86%. Then ECO is going to take over and take you from 86 to either 95 or 90%. I wouldn't dial it back to 90%. Before I did that, you know, I'd take a portion of the the protection factor, which basically says for every dollar that, that pays out, if you take 60%, you're going to get paid 60 cents. And I honestly, I don't think that's a bad idea either, you know, to, to look at ARC revenue protection and then gap out a little bit and pick up some ECO. Both ECO and SCO are county-based coverage. So the county has to have a loss before you um, collect any kind of indemnities on either one of those uh, products. So they're both good because they're both subsidized. You know, they're, they're not as expensive as some other products, other, other private products. So. I forgot I to tell you, Lacey. Conversation that, that you need to have with their crop insurance person, because when you walk into FSA, they're going to go, you want PLC or you want ARC? And most guys are like, uh. Yeah, that's what I was just okay, going to say. I, I, I was going to say, that's what I, I go, uh, what's everybody else doing? Arc. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. No, that's exactly yeah. what I was just going to chime in and say. And then Andrew interrupted me, of course. All right. I apologize. <laughs> so I think you have to, bottom line is, is go talk to your crop insurance agent first and pick out your coverages and then base your farm bill decision on that. Because like I said, SCO, you got to pay for ARC's free. SCO plays on planted acres. ARC pays on um, base acres. And, you know, if you're somebody that's super bearish and thinks that the price is still going to go down to 80 or, you know, below 401, you know, PLC is still will pay, but if you don't marry it up with SDO, every scenario that I've run at today's prices, ARC is still probably going to, um, be better, be better than PLC unless yield for the county goes up because it's all based on revenue. So yield goes up um, knock you out of the payment on ARC as well. So both ARC and PLC run off of uh, marketing or average prices. Those prices don't start until August, until actually September 1st, and run all the way through the next August 31st. So um, it's a weighted average of when most of the grain is sold. That marketing year average price is, is weighted based on um, the month when most of the crop from 2024 will be sold uh, basically almost in the following year. So if I wouldn't have listened to what you just said, I was going to ask that exact same question. So I'm glad I was paying attention. God, you're just reading our minds. I don't even have to do anything. I just have to sit here and be an ass. <laughs> That's great. Listen to me go on. Yeah, it's just typical Rick stuff, you know. <laughs> well, let's say I'm Rick Willard here and I normally um, – produce corn and soybeans above the county average. Does that matter in any of the crop insurance side? Yeah. I mean, you could be somebody that says, I don't ever collect on my underlying revenue protection, you know, um, but I kind of want more coverage. Well, then it's probably a good idea. You look at some ECO or SCO because you could potentially collect on the county yield before you collect on your own yields, especially when you're doing all the things right to try to grow the, you know, the most amount of crop that you can, the biggest yield you can. It's not a bad way to utilize higher subsidized products, you know, on the top end to cover some of those shallow losses. But the, ultimately, the, whether you're a fit for county-based coverage or not is how 
correlated you are with the county. So if the county's raising big yields, you're raising big yields. If the county's raising low yields, you're raising low or higher yields. But you just want to make sure that you're highly correlated with the county before you start picking off some of these county-based coverages. Can I talk about beans real quick? Absolutely. Okay, so beans, um, I'm probably a little bit more in the camp of PLC and SCO not because of the reference prices, because PLC reference prices at 926, ARC County price on the beans is at 1112, just, but just because there's some, and this is in my area, so I would have to know, Rick, you know, your yields, your county, things like that, but I like hail insurance, and I'm, I'll talk about that later, but I do like hail insurance on the beans, so depending on what your yields are and where you are with the county, you could pick up SCO pretty easily and get up to 86%. Um, with a 75 or 80% coverage, if that's something that is a good fit for you, or pick up ECO, but I'd either either ARC or PLC, unless we get below 1112 on uh, soybeans, neither one of them, it's kind of a mute point on it. So I'd try to get your coverage as, as high as you can on your crop insurance. I was just going to say, you don't have to choose the same on each crop. They can be a different decision. Right, yep. That would have been my next question. Perfect. Got a question here uh, from one of our viewers. No, I'm joking. We don't have any viewers, but <laughs> there is a question here to I'm read. So, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we can pretend. Uh, so, crop insurance. Not all crop insurance ends when it's harvested. Correct. So. Right. Uh, as far as indemnity payments are concerned, how does that fit in with a producer's cash flow? So going back to SCO and ECO, if you're lowering your levels of coverage, say you typically take 85%, but you're going to pick up some county-based coverage and you want 86 SCO, so you, you drop your underlying down to 80. You have to keep in mind that if you need the cash flow in the fall, from 80% of your crop um, and with interest rates, I think we have to consider this. The cash flow is a little bit different than your revenue protection. Revenue protection, hail, wind, those are all settled in the fall after harvest. But ECO, SCO, they don't, you don't actually, I, I hate even saying this out loud because my producers know that they have to report their production pretty quickly because I like to have it so we can make decisions for the next year. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you don't actually have to report your production until April 29th of the following year. So April 29th of 2024, your production is due. So RMA will take those yields. So they won't be able to issue any payments on ECO and SEO until it'll be about June of the following crop year before you see anything. So if you're taking that for next year, next June is where you would see a payment on SEO, ECO, those county-based coverages. So it's just a little bit different when you're thinking about your cash flow. Private products from any kind of companies, those are going to uh, also be issued in the fall, so right away. And then ARC and PLC, you have to wait for the marketing year average price that runs through um, August 31st. So those payments won't be generated until October. Likely you won't see any money on those of the following year. Well, I mean, I've had uh, my next question be about cover crops. I mean, I've done cover crops on little stints in the past. This year, I've got cover crops on every acre. What do I need to know, you know, being a person with cover crops? Because I know there's been some crop insurance stuff changed in the last five years and probably Mm -hmm. even sooner than that. Yep. So you used to not be able to to uh, take a cutting of hay or have any cover crops on. It would con- it was almost considered like double cropping. So the follow the crop following um, would be uninsurable. But they changed that quite a few years ago. And you can plant, harvest, graze, uh, chop, or hay, or just destroy cover cover crops, and your coverage is totally fine, totally enforced on that uh, spring crop. So my advice to you, Iowa's kind of cut into a couple different zones. Um, You'd have to check your actuarials, but most of the state of Iowa, you can destroy the cover crop prior at the time or prior to um, planting or in some counties, I think Taylor County, I think, um, and a lot of counties to the east, you can destroy those at um, just prior to crop emergence. 
So it's going to depend on the county, but it, as a general rule, rule, at the time of planting is when most of people would anyways, right? So when, when, do you, when do you do yours? Before planting. Before, yeah. So it's not really going to affect very many people. Is there a discount on crop insurance? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So some, if you have livestock, some counties, the NRCS office will um, offer a cost share program. So in a couple in counties that have a lot of livestock, they they have as much as 25 bucks an acre. You have to sign up through them, provide them receipts, um, planting rates, things like that. Uh, they'll issue your check and for whatever acres, the balance of your acres that they can't cover or won't cover, or you don't just don't want to sign up with them. You can sign up through um, the Iowa Department of Land and Stewardship, which is also called IDALS. Mm -hmm. Super easy. I do, um, I'll actually do a lot for my customers, which is something else that I can enjoy doing being uh, on my own, my own <laughs> business. And I can just say, hey, give me your acres. I'll just go in and do it for you. Uh, if you don't have the time, but you just go in and enter your farm tracks um, field numbers from your FSA office. IDALS pushes it to RMA, who pushes it to the AIPs, and then you get a $5 discount on your crop insurance. So you want to be sure and check your schedules because there are a few errors that we have noticed. But for the most part, those flow right through to your uh, to your schedules. And that's only for acres that the NRCS did not cover yes so, right. did not because you're getting a bigger check for those and Correct. so you're going to get yeah. a little help on the rest then okay yeah i think the minimum in most counties is 15 dollars, which is still better than the five dollar discount but you might as well get what the balance is mm -hmm. and and that actually that i don't know when people will be listening to this but the um idals program ends tomorrow the 26th of January. <laughs> yeah, it won't be out by tomorrow. So, so it's January. It. It's January 25th, and yeah. I was hoping to get this. Yeah, I was hoping to get this out uh, definitely by the end of February. So, so yeah, we're in the middle of crop insurance sign-up season. So, what are some other things producers should review each year on their coverage? Think, well, every year you got to obviously your levels. Yeah. your amount of uh, revenue guarantee, marrying that with your cost of production. Yep. But what options you're covering? Like I said, like the mm -hmm. best part of crop insurance is the math. And when you take higher numbers times coverage levels, then you get more guarantee, right? So how do you get your APH as high as you can? The options. So you, there's some yield exclusions for certain years. There's the trend adjustment, um, which bumps up your APH, uh, the older the database, the more you're affected by trend adjustment, uh, yield cups. There's a, there's a ton of options depending on your county that you can use to try to get that higher. And, and my favorite is utilizing precision technology. So making sure that your acres are what you plant. Don't buy crop insurance on ghost acres because you're not only are you buying it on your revenue protection acres, you're buying it on your crop hail acres. And then when you take your total bushels in the fall over more acres mm -hmm. that are there, that lowers your, your average. So uh, just make sure that those acres are, are really good so that you um, try to get your APH as high as possible. So you get your coverage as high as possible. And then also whether or not you're choosing enterprise or optional. If you're throwing all of your eggs, for lack of better terms, into one basket and getting an enterprise unit structure guarantee, or if you're keeping all your eggs separate, just knowing your what your risk is and what you're getting back as far as um, risk transfer for subsidy. I think Definitely. you and I had this conversation during harvest, Rick, didn't we, right afterwards, that I did enterprise for the first time ever this last year, and I'm like, that was the one of the biggest mistakes I've made mm -hmm. in a long time. Yeah, I tried saving money, and yep. then I didn't make any money on the backside. Well, yeah, because my, my yields were too good. I mean, that was... All my yields were good enough on certain farms to offset the ones that were really poor. Yep. You know, so across the whole thing, yeah, it worked out for the crop insurance favor, but for me, it really didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's really good to, I mean, if you ever question that, and I'm sure Andrew's all over this, but to go back and kind of do an analysis of optional versus enterprise and see what your net return is, on enterprise, you know, taking into account your, your premium savings mm -hmm. and then not and 
you know, just seeing you, you, what your net return is on that enterprise versus optional. Those are some good exercises to do. They're kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to make sure I do that for this year. I guarantee yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a uh, question I have, what's the minimum amount of amount of acreage or acreage in a field you have to have of a specific crop? Like if you have a 80 acre field or eight acres of beans and you put in a little corner, I don't know, half acre of corn because you want a snow fence around your house. I mean, can you ensure that just that half acre and it makes 300 bushel and that 300 bushel average can go towards that farm? I mean, how, how does that work? Yeah, I, I don't think there's really a minimum. Okay. You know, companies are going to round it. Some companies are going to round it. It depends on the tenth or the if it's a whole number. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably going to be the the biggest issue. But most companies round to the tenth. So I don't. I've never actually had that situation where you, you have a half acre, but um, but there's really no minimum. I'll make sure it's one acre even then. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Make it make it one. I think I know where you're going, Rick. You're talking about intercropping, aren't you? You're just trying to boost your corn yields. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, one way or another. A, I mean, it's especially like new producers, like that's a problem because it takes eight years to establish, you know, good databases when you're going corn and then beans and then, you know, smaller farmers. So mm-hmm. that's what, that would be my suggestion. It well, might be a pain in the ass, but... <laughs> let's, oh. ta- let's talk about uh, new, pro- or not new producers, but farmers that are picking up a new piece of ground. Where does that... Where does that new yield come in for something they've never farmed before? So that's another thing that you need to really have an agent that will, you know, look at your databases and make sure they're clean, getting the junky farms off of, if you're not farming anymore, get those off of your databases because going back, it's math. It's going to be not your trend adjusted yield. It's going to be all of your farms, the average of all of your farms, um, that's going to be what your new yield is going into that new farm. Okay. So every right now I'm going to say that probably I know Andrew has trend adjusted yields. That's not the yield. You use the average of, you know, farm a, the straight average of farm a, the straight average of farm B and C take that average and you divide it by three. That's the simple average. As long as we as agents mark those as added land, um, you get the higher of that yield or the County T yield. It's going to probably be your yield going into that and that's something that you like your agent should be able to have on demand for you especially if you're aggressive and renting new farms doing some of that data mining data work behind the scenes as for us as agents it's some of the best things that we can do for our producers to help them grow so that they have the best guarantees going into those farms so they can rent those grounds and feel rent that ground and feel confident yeah it's not always your fault it's i mean you can tell us what to do if we don't get you the information you know, that's our own fault. So yeah, just like anything. So like you said, you know, if I'm trying to rent a new piece of ground and it's say, you know, it takes a little extra money and maybe my cost of production, because I had to pay a little extra rent to get that farm and the revenue protection isn't enough to cover my production costs for this year. What products or what, what would you recommend in that situation that it might fit an operation? Well, we can look at ECO again. I mean, it's going to go up to 95% and give you a little bit extra protection. But every company out there has a private product that's going to stack on top of your crop insurance. Your crop insurance is going to max out at 85%, right? That's the highest you can get. So if that doesn't cover you, there's, you know, there's products that add on revenue up to 95% or they add on yield protection up to 95% or they just simply add on a price. So they take the, if corn is 480, you know, you might be able to buy another 15, 20 cents on top of it, maybe more in some situations. And you can um, add that price onto it to kind of ramp up your guarantee. The other thing you can look at is at an 85% level, you got at least 15%, depending on, you know, what you're, you can do with a yield, you got about 15% unprotected. So Um, A lot of times we'll look at hail and wind specifically to try to wrap up some of that cost production. It's not going to cover you for drought. Um, You know, it's going to cover you for hail and wind events. 
and fire, it's going to give you fire protection. So uh, your remnant protection will, will cover um, all your natural causes of fire, but not like a combined fire that's covered under your crop hail. So you can look at doing that too, adding uh, two, three, four hundred dollars on top of your revenue protection to get you more of what you need. It's going to be all on what you want to spend. Honestly, those private products are unsubsidized, so you're going to you're going to pay the premium for those. So you just got to determine if that's really what you want to do. The the problem with some of those is you can you can't out bushel them, meaning if you grow more bushels you're you're not going to have a loss because you're going to out bushel those so you got to kind of weigh those and see if that's really what you want to do but yes we want to grow my, more bushels yeah all, all the time <laughs> so at that point then you know it almost brings me back to and i know this is controversial but i think there's some things we can do better um for risk management it it kind of brings me back to let's let's try to ramp up our marketing knowledge and try to do some different, maybe do some different strategies on as far as hedging. If the market gives us the opportunity, knowing where those marketable bushels are, even maybe buying a little bit of yield yield protection that takes us up to 95% if that's what we want. And then trying to really market that crop when those market opportunities come to us, we got to reward the market somehow. Yeah. And crop insurance is a marketing tool anymore Mm -hmm. it is i have a lot of guys that that will just i have a lot of guys that say every year i hate buying this but i i really it's the only thing that supports my marketing plan plus you know i want to cover my rear but they they that's what they really use it for is so they can take those those bushels and and forward contract them well you were talking about hail insurance and wind and you know where where i live and we have wind and hail it seems like every year and the one thing that, you know, I've taken advantage of in the past is extra harvest expense, you know, because I have had corn go flat. And just that that is a nice little option in with the wind and hail if you take it mm-hmm. that kind of offsets some of that fuel cost. So what else would you kind of say about it? So extra harvest expense is going to pay you 8% of the liability of whatever you have. It could right on top of a wind product. So a lot of wind will cover green snap and lodging so lodging would be they'd come and count years on the ground after harvest but like you're talking about is extra harvest expenses when the ears set on matured and then that wind comes through and kind of lays that corn down where you have to do have a you know a, a slow combine expense more fuel things like that and that's what that extra harvest expense is going to step in and, and help you with so it's Honestly, it's one of the the perils. It's kind of probably been the hottest lately, because um, we have the we have the equipment that can get that corn picked up. So there's not much lodging left on the ground. Um, so it's been a, it's been a really good option to have. And and the only thing that I would you know remind people is is to make sure that those those end dates are at least October 31st. I think that's probably the latest you can do. November 1st, October 31st, those are the latest, but there are some that ends on September 30th, and I probably wouldn't write those because those are for those late windstorms. But they've been they've been really good to protect guys with, with you know, down corn. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'll say is that if you do choose wind, really look for products that have a uh, low low deductible or no deductible and a high payout factor if you can afford it. The, the the way they pay is if they pay quickly, they're gonna be more expensive. They pay slower, they're gonna, you know, obviously be cheaper because you're giving some of that up. But um, the, you know, I wouldn't choose much with much, or I wouldn't choose a wind product with much of a deductible because there's a lot of smaller wind storms as well. And the same thing on the beans, you gotta, you gotta hail beans on that get hailed you know, you can collect on your hail insurance pretty easily, and I would choose something that has no deductible. There's a lot of little hailstorms on beans, and that pays out um, quickly and fully, you know, at, at less than a 55% loss. Is it bad that I actually don't want to have hail insurance because I hate going around with the hail adjuster when he comes? <laughs> I get that, you know, and I get that every year, and uh... it's a fight all the time. And in your case, I'd say, okay, 
well, let's look at optional units and bumping up our revenue protection, subsidized products, ECO, and and maybe even take an ECO at a at a you know a percentage of the protection factor this year, because I I understand the frustration because I hear it a lot, and I think there's some different things we can do with it too. So, but hail pays so well when it does pay, you know it you does. get two hundred three hundred. Uh, protection, whatever it may be. Yeah. And the nice thing is, is that hail insurance is going to work on an optional unit structure. So you can have enterprise units and still put, you know, two, three, $400 of hail insurance on. And that's going to be, that's going to mitigate some of that risk from having all of your units in one. Can you explain the, the two, three, $400 coverages, how that comes into play? You get to choose what you want. If you're choosing something that has um, a low payout, um, like the the payout takes a long longer time, so maybe like a basic, which is one to one, you probably want to amp up your coverage, you know, four, five, six hundred dollars because it's going to take a while to get to that full payout. If you're using something like a companion, then you can kind of lower that back a little bit because that companion is going to pay out fully at a 55% loss. It's going to take whatever loss you have and double it. So, but you're going to pay for that obviously. So it's all going to be dependent. I think on what you choose production hail, the best, it's the best product out there. It's expensive and nobody will take it or not very many people will take it because it is so expensive. But it basically said it basically is a product that said if you don't raise 120 percent of your APH, you're going to collect it all at a 33 percent loss. I mean, it's it's amazing. But we've kind of figured that out and kind of ruined it for ourselves. So, yeah, well, crop insurance or jeez. Uh, Hail insurance about doubles your premium most of the time anyway on, on soybeans. Yeah. So, yep, yeah, it does. So, yeah, you just got to kind of start with revenue protection and then just start if you want to stack on more coverage, like the sky is the limit, but you got you to be aware of the premium. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, last year I actually considered not having crop insurance. I'm glad I did. It gave me, gives you a, Mm-hmm. ease of mind but I mean it it wouldn't have paid but- I, and I get that we get that a lot too and my advice for you is try to cover your I would still take it to cover my cost of production yes and, and I'm assuming you're you're doing some kind of marketing plan yeah absolutely yeah I have Brian split with agmarket.net he does it he does a great yeah. job and he understands I know Brian. It. you do yeah. great yeah, yeah he's awesome yeah. we hope to have him on yeah, here sometime he He's yeah. kind of a big deal, though. We'd have to be a big I deal know. to have him. I know. Yeah. <laughs> he's got Lacey, isn't that? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Not the Lacey. same. Not the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do, no, have one, I do have one question for you, Lacey, and it's kind of a little bit off topic, but it's as far as insurance goes. Now, you do work with livestock producers, and, I mean, Rick and I don't have livestock at the time. I know Rick has thought about getting them feeders, sometimes and then he sometimes he's like no. oh well no i did have some i had i don't know how many here a while back when brian bought some cattle futures for me so yeah uh-huh. i i got i didn't have the work involved but i got to wear the hat and the belt buckle <laughs> so. the boots yep oh absolutely yeah okay. yep. yep but you cover farmers down here and i know in so- southern iowa where we're at but is there anything the cattle operation operator needs to be looking at as far as insurance? Yeah, they really need to be looking at uh, LRP, livestock risk protection, and specifically like backgrounders, uh, they need to be looking at it if they're buying calves and just to cover themselves because, you know, 500 pound calves are bringing over three bucks and it's a lot of outlay on uh, calves, it's a lot of risk that you're going to put into a calf and and I think if you're buying them, you got to about protect yourself right now. And then last night, I actually had a meeting um, with some some of my uh, friends and livestock producers, and we went over LRP because the cow calf guy right now it's a huge deal. You can November board is at two sixty five, and you know it's it's still got some room, I think, and you can start protecting yourself and you can buy LRP subsidized, 100% coverage is subsidized at 35%. 
So you can start putting some floors on those and leave the top side completely open. And for a, a sector that's been so so red on financials the last few years, it's a really it's I think it's the most exciting thing in crop insurance right now is to be able to protect you get to protect some profits now um, for livestock guys specifically like that cow calf cow calf market it's it's huge it's a no brainer for me. Yeah, great. So does every crop insurance agent uh, do livestock insurance? Um, no, you have to have a separate endorsement on okay. your license, but you have, you sell LRP, um, board closes, you know, a little after one and you can't sell LRP till three thirty, and you have to written, have it written by eight twenty five the next morning. So like I work a lot of nights yeah. and, uh, you can, you can write it on Saturday mornings too. So you can, I do it cause like, that's my passion too. I love livestock. I love the producers that I get to work with and, and, and it's a huge risk management tool right now. So I think that that kind of shies some agents away that don't want to work there with ours, mm-hmm. but, um, but I do. And I, I, the product is amazing, especially if you dive into it and know all the details of it. It's a, it's a huge value right now. Do you have livestock? I do. Well, no, I did. I got, oh. my boys have two 4-H calves. I got oh. rid of mine, but my dad has too many. So <laughs> I get to do all the things with them. <laughs> Livestock is, that's an important job. I remember not getting to go anywhere growing up when we had cattle and hogs. Hogs, hogs wasn't such a big deal. I mean, you just had to make sure the feeders were full and, you know, they were bedded and, and the shit was hauled. But I mean, cattle that's a big deal especially when you're feeding them twice a day and you get to yeah. manage their rations yeah yeah i the, feel bad for them right now it's been tough 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 they they, they scoop snow all day then it blows back in blows in bunks and you guys scoop it again and yeah it's so tough i saw that comment on facebook i I think I blocked the guy because he pissed me off. He was a good friend of mine was saying how he's like, oh, yeah, I got to get up, you know, early tomorrow to go move snow. And he helps a big, uh, I don't know how, at one time this guy had like 800 head of feeders. And, you know, he had he has a couple full-time guys, and one of the guys commented how he had to get up early in the morning to go help. And the ignorant person said oh well that's so horrible i'll be there at 4 30 to ride in your cab tractor with you while it's all nice and warm and i'm like yeah because he's not gonna have to get because there is an out, outside feed lot and whether he's got automated put, no yeah i know and it makes me so mad it just it frustrates me and instead of commenting i was like i don't even want to see this guy anymore so i just blocked him and he he'll never know i blocked him anyway but I was like, you gosh, haven't, you haven't experienced life until you've been on a horse when it's oh. 20 degrees below zero and the wind's doing 50 and the snot is running down your face and you're so cold and you're trying to pull one calf that you can't head. Like uh, that's what you needed to tell that guy. Yeah. Well, why, and, don't get, why don't you get on your horse and go out there and pull those thick calves? Right. <laughs> and the best part about it is I haven't done that, but I still have that empathy I mean, I still, yeah. I get it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'll stand yeah. out at the window and be like, when it was 40 below last week, wind chills, I'm like, I feel sorry for every cattle guy that's yeah. got to bust ice in the morning, move snow that's going to be probably drifted back in before he gets out from feeding or whatever else, move yeah. every gate that's buried and froze down. Yep. I'm like, they're just having shitty days. Yeah. But yeah. No- but this, yeah, this guy thought, oh, no, all you got to do is ride around. And he he assumed that all he was going to do is move some snow out of some driveways so they could get the feed wagon in and stuff. But, yeah, he, like I said, he forgot about shoveling out the the bunks. And and uh, we, had, we had a confinement building. We quit feeding in 2013, I believe it was. And uh, I know Andrew already knows this, but I'm telling Lacey. But... <laughs> Anyway, uh, so we'd raise about 160 head of feeders. We'd backfeed them in a, well, we used to backfeed them um, and then bring them into the, at 800 pounds into the confinement because their uh, hooves and legs can only withstand so much time on those concrete slats. So you had to bring them in heavy, but we had all automated push button, uh, 
uh, harvest stores, which everybody's like, oh, yeah, piece of cake. Bullshit. Oh, my God. I mean, for one, the cold, you'd, you'd get freeze up on the sides of them. You'd have some thaw on the south side where the sun would hit, and you'd pretty much have to run your uh, – they got those big – Everything's fed from the bottom with a harvest store instead of from the top down. It's from the bottom, and it kind of makes a cone in the center. And those, uh, I don't know what they call them, feed deals with those knives on them, you have to keep running it back and forth on the south side during the winter because it would be froze up on the north sides of them because they wouldn't get any heat or sun. And then those big, huge motors, they would hardly even want to start. Those electric motors, oh, my gosh, what a pain in the ass. And the bunk was undercover, but you'd still, you know, you'd get big frozen chunks of crap. And, I mean, it, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. And you know what? We had a slat slide out on one of those once. We lost eight head in that eight-foot pit. Oh, no. Can you imagine? No. I felt so, one morning, it was spring. Uh, I don't think we were planting yet, but I remember getting to the farm, and I noticed the pit was running over. And you always, we always had to uh, empty it every spring and fall. So we would leave 80 acres of unplanted beans and we'd spread it and then plant the beans. And we'd usually be done first of June with that. And But anyway, I get there in the spring and I'm like, oh, great. The pit's running over, you know, and have to haul some manure. And I walk around the corner and here these cattle are looking up at me with their heads poking out of their shit and can you imagine what the temperature of manure would be in march or april i mean there was still ice chunks floating around underneath there felt so bad for them there was two of them that were still alive but i mean we had to put them down and then the other we we only thought there was a few at first and we put the manure pump in and started pumping and they just kept floating over into the corner and yeah we ended up having eight of them Oh, it was so That's sad. Horrible. Yeah, absolutely horrible. But And they were big, too. I mean, they were 1,000, 1,200 pounders already. Yeah. Uh, the way we got them out was with a uh, backhoe, and we'd, well, I can't remember. We made a big, long wire is what we did, and we'd run that wire up around their bellies so we could hook the chain, and then we pulled it back out so we didn't have to dip our arms in the manure and everything. But we get that chain up around their belly, and then we could kind of help them help pull them out and oh yeah that's horrible it was <laughs> financially horrible too yeah we did have insurance on them oh but you the, did that's yeah good. yeah insurance covered it you have any other questions rick i mean we've taken a lot of Lacey's time here today i probably talked so. a lot no no i say Lacey, is there anything you want to say i mean what would you say to the to the average farmer you know here we are at the end of uh, January going to probably come out. This will be somewhere in February. What would you say to them when they're thinking about their crop insurance? It's the most important thing they should be their first thought, I guess. I think your first thought is your cost of production. <laughs> I think it's hard to pick a level of crop insurance. It's hard to spend any money, extra money on crop insurance if you don't know where you're at. And and I don't think that's just on the crop side. I think it's on the livestock side. And I spent a lot of time at that meeting last night going over that and just, you know, you got to know your costs so you know what you can protect. And and then you got to know what you have so that you can forward, forward market and do the best you can either with your cattle or with your crops and your, and, you know, just do the best that you can as far as even marketing strategies. And, and I always like the people, that's why I'm working with you guys. I always like to work with people that are smarter than me. Not. That's <laughs> what I always say. Cause I'm not. Jeez. Yeah, so find somebody that's smarter than you and help, you know, let them help you make some marketing decisions. And if you got to spend a couple bucks an acre, I don't I don't think that's a bad idea. I'm not smart, Lacey. I have farmer sense, hence the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think people with farmer sense are actually smarter than people with common sense. I just feel that a farmer has to be so well-rounded. And you can go back to that that guy's comment on Facebook about, you know, how farmers are spoiled nowadays with cab tractors and auto steer and all this stuff. But it's still, and oh, yeah, you only work four months out of the year, blah, blah, blah. Well, 
no. If you're if you're the uh, the kind of farmer I know, you work all year. You hmm. work on um, honeydew projects in the winter. You drive truck in the winter, whether you're hauling your own grain or somebody else's. Um, you have a nice heated shop. You're getting equipment ready for the winter. You're marketing. You're um, going to many meetings during January and February is like the meeting time to learn. You're re-educating mm-hmm. yourself, building your own stuff. You're welding. You're, I mean, all year you're just doing, You, I don't know how many, every day of the summer I'm sitting in a sprayer, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And we don't farm that many acres, but we're just always doing something. Always, we're not lazy. We're trying to improve our lives. We're trying to make things easier. We're trying to have a beautiful home and, you know, take care of our wives and children and, you know, everybody. Not that I have more than one wife, but you know what I meant. (laughs) Uh, But, and taking care of our dogs, of course. There's just so much more to it and it frustrates the hell out of me, all the people. And you know what? It's mostly people that are jealous. It is. And I know this guy and I know he's a, he's not going to listen to this podcast for one, cause he'd be jealous cause I have a podcast and he's not going to listen cause he doesn't care about farmers, even though he wants to be one and he never got to be one. Mm-hmm. And that's why he acts this way. And that's why people are the way they are. You go rent a piece of ground. Everybody talks about you. You go buy a new tractor, new pickup, old pickup, old tractor, whatever you have, everybody loves to talk. And it's just, it. why can't we have good talk? Why can't we all sit down on Zooms and talk about what good things happened in our farming operation this year and share info? And that's why I started this, and that's why Andrew wanted to be a part of it. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get good comments, good feedback, good questions for another guest, whatever it might be. And you being on here was fantastic. You did a great job. So we Thank appreciate you. having you. Well, you. You are who you hang out with. So yeah. obviously you're hanging out with Andrew and you got some good people in your life. So you just got to forget those other people that are not, they're bringing you down. They're not a part of your life. Oh, right. absolutely. You are hundred percent correct. Yeah. But yeah. I think you did put something out there that I want to kind of touch on a little bit. It is, and I don't know if it's just a sociological thing, but it seems like farmers, it's easier to spread bad stuff. It, it seems like that spreads faster than it does with good stuff that somebody's doing. You know what I mean? If somebody misses a spot on the field or screws some shit up next to the highway, that's what everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about, you know, that he's doing this and this and that, or she, or what doesn't matter. It's just easier for them. I don't know if it's a negative mentality, but that's what, you know, this podcast was, you know, originally supposed to be about is to try to share information and try to bring everybody up instead of mm-hmm. just, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with talking about my mistakes and I know Rick is too, because we make them all the time and we try to learn from them. That's why we're but smart. Just trying to, to change the mantra, I guess, in my mind. Those yeah. are not mistakes. They're learning opportunities. Oh, yeah. I say it all the time. Every episode, I'm probably going to say it. If I didn't make mistakes, I'd be an idiot. Because <laughs> I've made so many, and I just learned so much from them. You know? okay. And it's it's also interesting you bring that up, Andrew. Yeah, you make that mistake along the road or whatever. Everybody talks to each other about how that mistake happened. But I've been lucky enough that face-to-face with those farmers, they have given me compliments on how well my crop has looked and they ask what I've done, you know, and maybe those guys are saying the same thing to their neighbors. And I consider those people that ask me that good friends, you know? So yeah, that's just how things go. That's how I think every, not just farmers, I think it's just that, that way in general, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure all the insurance agents talk about each other. Oh, Lacey has a hundred customers and I only have 95, you know, (laughs) or whatever that might be, but yeah, I'm sure they do. I tell myself I'm only in competition with myself to be better than I was yesterday. And yeah, so my kids get tired of me all the time because I always tell them comparisons of people of joy. Right. So you just gotta 
keep on moving on. Keep yeah. on keeping on. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lacey. Hey, guys. Thank you. It was awesome. This was an honor and a hell of an opportunity, and I thank you. It's been oh, one thing. One more thing. How can people get a hold of you if they want to oh. reach out to you? Yeah. Uh, well, my name is there. The Schaefer Company at gmail.com is my email. My number is 712-303-9870. I'm on TikTok. I try to do a few of those videos, just educational. Um, and then I'm on Facebook as well. So call me, text me, email me. Okay, great. TikTok me. Thank I don't you. know what the, if that's a thing. But yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for this honor and opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. And hopefully I... Uh, helped a little bit today. Yeah. And Thank I hope, you guys for what you're doing too. You're doing good things. Yeah. We hope it turns into a great thing and we're glad you could be out on the, on the startup of all this. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Lacey. Have a great day. You bet. Thank you. Yep. Yeah.